0: Awakening is a verb. Awakening is a verb. And I'd like to begin at the beginning. Although with with the caveat that there really is no beginning. Not really. But the beginning in terms of our tradition of Buddhism. The one we call the Buddha wanted to understand suffering and the causes of suffering. He had, as a child... And into young adulthood, he had indulged all the worldly pl- pleasures because he was from a really wealthy family. Some some even say he was a prince, but really wealthy is as far as we need to go with this. But that didn't make him happy. He had literally everything, and that didn't make him happy. And he was sheltered, too. Like, the, the struggles that are a part of life for all of us were mostly hidden from him. Okay. And he found that he didn't find what he was looking for by indulging in every pleasure he possibly could. That didn't do it for him. So he went and he tried studying with some of the spiritual teachers of the day. And he didn't find what he was looking for with them either. He spent quite a bit of time with some spiritual teachers and he, he didn't think they really had it. And he tried also extreme fasting and intentional discomfort in order to, again, try to understand suffering. That is, suffer a lot on purpose to try to understand suffering. And he still didn't find what he was looking for. So he sat under a tree, a tree that we call now the Bodhi tree. He sat under this tree with the great resolve to figure out for himself, why do we suffer? What causes suffering? Is there a way out of suffering? These big, heavy questions. And so he just sat there for a while doing meditation practice and thinking about these things. So, after some time, he had what we call an awakening. An awakening. And at first he thought he could not effectively share this awakening with other people. He thought they couldn't possibly understand the truth he had realized, but he was motivated by compassion to try anyway. So the Buddha went and he shared what he had realized with a group of men we call the five ascetics. These were people who had been doing some of those practices I told you about with him, some of those extreme self-denial, those kinds of practices. That's why they're called the five ascetics. That's what ascetic means. And so after he left that tree, he went towards those those five guys, and they saw him coming, and they thought, oh, he he gave up these practices. We're not going to talk to him because he's, you know, he has given up spirituality. That's what they thought. And as he got closer, they noticed something about him. They noticed his countenance had changed. He seemed at peace with the world. Have you ever had that experience where you meet somebody and they just seem really relaxed and they make you feel relaxed? That's how I imagine it. But of course I don't know. But... He went to these guys and he told them the way to live our best lives is a middle way, a middle way, something, some middle ground in between giving in to temptations all the time and denying ourselves worldly pleasure, something in the middle, okay? Like, like that saying, moderation in all things, right? He said that extremes are not good, and then after he gave them that teaching, he shared with them what we normally call the four noble truths. The four noble truths are like the foundational teaching of Buddhism. And they are usually expressed as follows. Life is suffering. That's number 1. The cause of suffering is attachment. That's number 2. There's a way out of suffering. That's the third one. And then the Buddhist path or the Noble Eightfold Path. That's the fourth one. So the first two describe our situation. And the second two describe how to do something about it. So in his book, Buddhism Without Beliefs, Stephen Batchelor reframes the Four Noble Truths and he calls them the four ennobling truths instead. Ennobling is an action word, whereas noble is a more passive word. Ennobling is an action word. An action word. So he describes them in this way. He says, and I quote, anguish, its origin, its cessation, and the path leading to its cessation. Anguish is to be understood, its origins to be let go of, its cessation to be realized, and the path to be cultivated. End quote. I stumbled on the word cessation a little bit, didn't I? Uh, cessation just means stopping. If you're not familiar with the word, and you might not be, uh, cessation means stopping. It's like the, the root is cease, I think. The word cease, and we know that one. So, Sometimes we try to make this path into something different. And when we're philosophizing and when we're speculating about things, the further we start to get away from that root, suffering and the causes of suffering, anguish and its origin, when we start to go far afield from that, uh, maybe we can reassess and ask ourselves, am I getting off track? Am I getting off track? Because those, those things are the foundation of all of this. And so in the book, again, Buddhism Without Beliefs, Batchelor goes on to say, and I quote, in describing to the five ascetics what his awakening meant, he spoke of having discovered complete freedom of heart and mind from the compulsions of craving. He called such freedom the taste of the Dharma. End quote. The truth is that we cause a whole lot of our own suffering. We do that by being with obsessed with ourselves. And The killer's inside the house. We do our own things to make our suffering worse. We do our own things to create our suffering, right? The killer's inside the house. I think of, um, there's an old Buddhist adage called the second arrow. The second arrow, and that is just uh, the metaphor. It's a metaphor. uh, Is a person is hit by an arrow and the second arrow is how he's making this worse for himself worse for himself so our normal reaction to the to the vagaries of life to the struggles we have is to suffer and cry out why is this happening to me you know and so if you're for example hit with an arrow and you're just thinking how could someone do this to me why is this happening to me and why me and not someone else what kind of arrow is this all these sorts of things you might be making your suffering worse. In my opinion, a more productive way of moving through the world is to instead say, right now it's like this, what can I do? So we want to go from thinking, why is this happening to me? To instead thinking, right now it's like this, what can I do? This one time, I discovered my car tire had a slow leak, and after I put in air several times, I knew I had to take it somewhere, so I did, but while I was on my way to discount tire, I started telling myself stories. I was thinking I would need a new tire. I was thinking they wouldn't have my tire in stock, so I'd be without a car for days and days. I was thinking it would be really expensive. With these thoughts, what was I doing? I was ruining my own afternoon, right? So the first arrow is, that tire's getting flat. The second arrow is all those thoughts I was having. It's like being hit by another arrow when we make ourselves suffer more. And they patched my tire for free. So I put myself through all that for nothing, really. For nothing. In our normal state of being, we are consumed by trivialities and eaten up by our struggles. Because we have this idea that we're going to avoid everything bad in life. We have that idea and then sometimes we expect it to be true. We expect the universe to line up for us. And when you combine this with how inattentive we are and how we sleepwalk through life... It's like a recipe for unhappiness. It's like a recipe for unhappiness. Craving is that incessant wish we have for things to line up for us and the resentment when things don't. Whatever we want, we tend to want it right now. Things will never line up perfectly, though. That's, that's just not how life is. Sometimes it feels like things are going really well for a while, And then life suddenly kicks you in the face, right? It happens to all of us. We've all been beaten down by life. And sometimes it seems like things are going badly for a long time too. The richest man in the world was still unhappy enough to get divorced, just like the rest of us. We sometimes tend to think that if we get all the things, then we'll be happy, but that won't work. It just won't. Added to this craving is our obsession with ourselves. We can tend to think we're the center of the universe and the only person that matters. We wouldn't say it out loud, of course, but sometimes we have that kind of thinking. Sometimes our actions show that we don't think of other people as people with needs and hopes and desires, just like us. Everyone wants to avoid suffering and to be happy. So the good news is, though, we can. We can let go of our craving and our self-obsession and our emotional baggage. That's what the Buddha encourages us to do. But it's not so much something we achieve as it is a process we're trying to embody. Awakening is a verb and not a destination. When we think it's a destination, we can create all new and different forms of craving and suffering. And the truth is, there are always problems. You know? I lived in an apartment, and I had apartment problems. I had a landlord that wouldn't fix my air conditioning, and I had neighbors who were loud. And then I bought a house, and now I have house problems. I have an expensive mortgage. I had to buy a furnace. And I think I heard a woodpecker pecking on my wall. So... got that to deal with. So whatever, whether you're in a house or in an apartment, there are always problems. So we are training in virtue, mindfulness, and wisdom so that we can learn how to put down the things that don't serve us, to see the world clearly, and to cause less suffering for ourselves and others. Sometimes in Buddhism, we talk about saving all beings, and I like to add from myself. Because that's what I have power to save people from. That's what I have the most power to save people from. My delusion and my incredible selfishness. This is a, all a kind of radical and boundless authenticity. What would it look like if we were truly genuine? What would it look like? I'm going to close with another quote from Stephen Batchelor. He summarizes the four noble truths and or he calls them the four Nobling Truths in the following way. And I quote: "The actions that accompany the four truths describe the trajectory of Dharma practice. Understanding anguish leads to letting go of craving, which leads to realizing its cessation, which leads to cultivating the path. These are not four separate activities but four phases within the process of awakening itself. Understanding matures into letting go, letting go culminates in realization, realization impels cultivation." End quote. I hope this talk has been helpful. Thank you for listening and have a good day.